Well, it is good to be with you all this morning again, and uh, I just want to, on behalf of my wife Cheryl and myself, just to say uh, thank you to Redeemer Church for the way that you have made us feel so welcome here uh, in the time that short time we've been here. Um, we learned of Redeemer Church uh, probably three years ago or so, and uh, got to experience worship with you all um, almost two years ago uh, when uh, my mother-in-law had a heart attack, and uh, we came back here. She had bypass surgery, and uh, we were here over the course of a weekend uh, for all of that, and uh, had the opportunity to worship with you all, and we're so blessed by that. And so uh, when the Lord called us back here, uh, while we visited other places, Redeemer was always the standard by which we evaluated every church, and so the Lord has uh, graciously brought us here, and we are thankful for that and thankful for each one of you and the way that you have uh, shown love to us and welcomed us, and I just wanted to say thank you again. We learned either late last night or early this morning of uh, a young family that we uh, know through uh, a dear family to us in our church back in Oklahoma. Uh, a young family where the husband and wife are about 20, 21 years old. And uh, their 11-month-old son uh, died last night. Uh, had developed a liver condition. Uh, they had weighed and waited and prayed for a long time for a liver transplant. The transplant took place, all looked well, and then uh, developed some complications from the liver transplant. Uh, Russell was moved to the very top of the list to uh, hopefully get another liver. Uh, sadly, he passed away before that happened. That serves to illustrate where this message begins this morning. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12, the first part of that verse says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Are you familiar with that kind of sick feeling that accompanies the deferment of hope, a great disappointment. Stephen Cole is a pastor in Arizona, and uh, he spoke to that, that feeling when he said this. He said, the most difficult disappointments to deal with are when you have prayed about something for a long time, and it looks like finally God is going to answer but then it doesn't happen, and your hopes are dashed. David was a man who was uh, acquainted with the sickness of heart that often accompanies the deferment of hope. In Psalm 13, David is uh, in obvious pain when he cries out, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The Apostle Paul was a man who was familiar with those same kind of feelings. In 2 Corinthians, not too far into the letter, early in chapter 1, Paul recalls a time of deep affliction in his life. And he says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And yet, for both David and Paul and others in Scripture, the deferment of hope did not lead to the death of hope. Their desperate circumstances pressed them to hold fast to their faith in God and to trust Him more deeply, despite the outward evidence that was telling their hearts to give up. I want you to listen to how David ends Psalm 13. After he had gone through that whole round of how long questions, he concludes by saying this, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And though Paul had felt stretched to the breaking point, he soon saw that God had a purpose in that heavy trial that he had experienced. He writes, he says, But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. On him we have set our hope. Joseph, in the Old Testament, was the beloved son of Jacob and the despised brother of Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and, well, you know, the whole list. In many ways, Joseph could uh, be considered the, the poster child for hope deferred. When he was uh, late in his teens, he had a couple of dreams that he shared with his family. And those dreams kindled within him the hope of exaltation. But that hope was deferred when he was sold into slavery by his brothers. In slavery, he was purchased by Potiphar, one of the leading rulers in the government of Egypt. And there Joseph rose to prominence in Potiphar's household and had charge of everything. Potiphar didn't concern himself with anything. And yet, that hope of success that was rising in Joseph's life, all that hope was soon deferred when he was 
put in prison as a result of false charges brought against him by Potiphar's wife. And this morning we're going to look at really the end of Genesis 39 and the whole of Genesis chapter 40. And we'll see hope rise again for Joseph, only to be deferred again. How do you respond to hope deferred? I just turned 55 at the end of December, and uh, I've lived long enough to have experienced hope deferred. And I would imagine that though a lot of you are near the ages of my children, that you too have probably lived long enough to experience, to have experienced hope deferred. How do you respond when that happens? When things haven't worked out exactly the way that you had expected. Discouragement and despondency are the common responses, even among God's people. This morning I hope to show us that uh, Joseph shows us how to respond in an uncommon way. With trust that is rooted in a deep faith in God. If you have your Bible or your electronic device, <laughs> turn to uh, Genesis. We want to begin at the end of chapter 39. Joseph has been imprisoned. I want to start in verse 20 of Genesis 39. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The first thing that I would tell you this morning about how to respond when hope is deferred is this, is that when hope is deferred, trust in God's presence. When hope is deferred, when your expectations go unmet, trust in God's presence. Twice in those verses we read that the Lord was with Joseph. That was not the first time that had been said about Joseph in the circumstances that he faced. Earlier when Joseph was there in Potiphar's household working as a slave, we're told that the Lord was with Joseph. Whether it was in Potiphar's house or in prison, the Lord was with him. In times of prosperity and in times of great adversity, it didn't matter. The Lord was with Joseph. 
one of the things that is impressive about Joseph is how regardless of whatever circumstance you see him in, you see him trusting in God and walking with the Lord. God reveals his presence to Joseph, we are told, by his steadfast love toward Joseph. It reminds us of the verse in Psalm 25, verse 10, where it says, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. There is a promise that you can hold on to. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. The Lord was with Joseph, even in prison. And over and over again in those few verses that we read at the end of Genesis 39, the focus is not so much on Joseph and his circumstances, but the focus is on whom? The Lord. Over and over again, you see, the Lord was with Joseph. God gave Joseph favor with the keeper of the prison. God made whatever Joseph did to succeed. It's God, God, God. The Lord was with Joseph. When we find ourselves in those times in our lives when hope has been deferred, when we are waiting upon the Lord, we need to remember that the Lord is with us. As he was with Joseph, he is with his people yet today. It's interesting that God had a plan for Joseph's life, and it was working itself out according to God's sovereign will. But Joseph has no idea where this is all going. Just like we don't know where things are really headed, we can't see the end from the beginning like God can. Joseph is just trusting and waiting. God didn't pluck Joseph out of his suffering. But what does God's word tell us? That God was with him in his suffering, in his trial, in his hardship. God did not protect Joseph from distress, but was present with him in his distress. And you know the verse from Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We will go through circumstances. We will face situations in our lives where we will have all kinds of questions. The picture will be unclear. The future will look uncertain. But as God's children, you can be sure of this, that God is with us. Is that not why 
God sent his son. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That God sent his son into the world out of love for us is a sure indication that he is with us. And yet, though the Lord was with Joseph, where did Joseph remain? He was still in prison. He was in a place he didn't want to be, and he was in a place that he didn't really deserve to be. And though the Lord was with him, hope remained still deferred for Joseph. Which brings us to the second thing. And that is when hope is deferred, trust in God's providence. When hope is deferred, trust in God's providence. Come to chapter 40. And uh, I want to read the first four verses there. It says, sometime after this. We don't know how long that sometime was. Could have been several years. Probably was several years. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. And they continued some time in custody. God's providence... Joseph has been uh, doing what he did there in the prison, whatever that was, taking care of everything. And one day, two new prisoners arrive. The cupbearer to Pharaoh and the chief baker. And we know historically a little bit about their positions. The cupbearer was the one who uh, tested all the food and drink for the ruler to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Uh, And because of the the closeness of the cupbearer's position to the ruler, he was not only just the main food tester, you know, if he keeled over, then the guy knew not to eat it. But he was also a trusted advisor and a confidant of the ruler. In Egypt, the chief baker was one of the main food preparers, History tells us that in the, this time period in Egypt that uh, there's some record that tells us of 38 different kinds of cake and 57 varieties of bread that were known in the land of Egypt. So uh, this guy probably would have won Top Chef if they had been focused on baking bread and pastries. But these two guys did something to anger Pharaoh. We're not told in the text what it was. It probably had something to do with food, perhaps uh, an assassination plot that was uncovered but was not yet fully investigated. But to be safe, they just threw everybody in prison. And so there they are the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And by chance, they end up in Joseph's prison. And by chance, they end up in Joseph's 
cell block. And by chance, Joseph is given charge of them. Well, no, it wasn't by chance, was it? This is God's providence. God is working something out here that Joseph himself is not aware of, and neither are the chief cupbearer or the baker aware of. They're put in the prison where Joseph was confined, and he's appointed to be with them, and we're told that he attended them. And Joseph has no idea that the intersecting of his life with those of the cupbearer and the baker will eventually lead not only to his release from prison, but to a great promotion for Joseph. The only one that knows all this is God. And God is the one who behind the scenes is working all these things according to his will and for his glory. God works in ways that we cannot see. One of the things that my wife read a few weeks ago that she has shared with several others, including our kids, as we're separated from them now by 700 miles and uh, separated from our uh, church family that we were part of for 10 years. And when we've struggled with uh, the feelings of hope deferred, when things haven't gone exactly the way that we had expected or thought that they would, one of the things that we've had to remind ourselves of is that God is working in a hundred different ways that we can't see right now, but he is working for his glory and for our good. Not only for us here, but for our family there. And he's doing the same in your lives as well. The Westminster Shorter Catechism defines God's providence like this. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and their actions. To trust in God's providence is to rest in his care. That doesn't necessarily mean that everything will make sense to us right at this moment. God's providence is best understood and seen most clearly looking back at it. When we're in the middle of it, it's pretty fuzzy. But I bet you can look back on your life and you can see how God has brought people and situations and things to pass that have drawn you Closer to him. Perhaps God has worked in a providential way even to bring you to faith in Christ in the first place. So, Joseph, throughout the course of his life, you see him as a man who trusts in God's 
providence. That becomes the great lesson, really, of the life of Joseph. And that's really where his story ends in Genesis chapter 50, when Joseph talks with his brothers after Jacob has died and he's been buried. And the brothers are all afraid that Joseph is now going to bring the hammer down on them for what they did to him in the past. And he says, look, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good, for the preserving of many lives. Joseph was a man who, even when hope was deferred in his life, trusted in God's providence, his care and superintendence, and he rested in that. The third thing that I want you to see here in the life of Joseph, a third lesson of how to respond when hope is deferred is this, that when hope is deferred, Trust in God's prescience. Now, there's a $10 word that I'll explain in a minute. I, I, when I preach, I like to alliterate. I, I like to have words. I've, I've listened to John MacArthur too much over the years, and it has affected me that way. And so I like to, I like to have words that begin with the same letter. But prescience fits, and I'll explain why here in a moment. But let's read first in Genesis chapter 40, starting in verse 5. They're there in the prison in Joseph's custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? As if being in prison wasn't reason enough to have a downcast face. They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. I love this part of the story because things are just going along. It's been one dungeon day after another for Joseph, and yet he continues to seek to walk in faithfulness to the Lord and... uh, 
One of the things I love about this part of the story is that he comes in to check on the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And you see Joseph's concern for them. It would be easy for Joseph just to live every day just saying, I'm in this dreadful place and I'm just going to take care of me here until I can get out of here. But Joseph comes in to check on them and right away he says, what's the deal? Why are you guys so uh, sad and gloomy? Why are your faces downcast? He was sensitive to the needs of others. Even in the midst of his own hardship, uh, Joseph kept his focus outward and sought to find how he might minister to them and show the grace of God to them. And so they said, you know, we've had these dreams, but we're stuck in this place. Pharaoh's soothsayers, they're of no use to us here. We don't have any contact with them. Nobody can interpret these dreams for us. And out of his concern for them, in which he finds out what is their problem, Joseph exhibits his confidence in God. Don't the interpretation of dreams belong to God? Tell me. And perhaps God will show me what your dreams are all about. Here we see Joseph's trust in God's prescience. God's knowledge of things before they exist or happen is foreknowledge. That there is nothing in all creation that is hidden from the sight of God, the one with whom we have to do. Joseph was confident that God knew the content even of these men's most private inner thoughts, their dreams. God sees God knows and God can reveal. That was Joseph's confidence in God's prescience. In Isaiah chapter 46, the prophet Isaiah reminds the people of God's knowledge of all things and why they should then trust in him rather than idols. The early part of the chapter in Isaiah 46, he's talking about the, the weakness, the inability of idols in which many people would put their trust. But then you come to verse 8 in Isaiah 46, and Isaiah says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. And is that not what happened? Joseph declares the interpretation of the dreams to the two men. The cupbearer would be released in three days and would be restored to his former position the baker would also be released to go to the gallows and die. And it happened just as Joseph had said, as God had revealed. 
In the midst of that, Joseph says to the cupbearer, when all this happens, when everything happens the way that God has already set it to occur, remember me. Get me out of here. I don't deserve to be here. Some people say that when Joseph said that, that that was an act of faithlessness on his part. I don't think it was a faithless act, but a human act. Remember me. Joseph trusted in the Lord. He trusted in God's presence with him. He trusted that God was providentially at work in his life. He knew that God saw the end from the beginning. And yet, he still says, I want to be out of here. Isn't that all where we, where we find ourselves when hope is deferred? Even when we are trusting in the Lord, we say, Lord, I know that you are good. I know that you are faithful, but please get me out of this. Well, there's one more thing. When hope is deferred, trust in God's purposes. Look at the end of the chapter in Genesis chapter 40. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. The interpretations of the dreams were fulfilled just as Joseph, by God's grace, had declared it. And yet Joseph himself was forgotten. I can imagine on that third day when the chief cupbearer and the chief baker were led out of the prison that Joseph was thinking, today's the day. It's going to happen just as God has said. These guys are going to be released and one's going to die and one's going to be restored and the one that has been restored. I've asked him to remember me and he's going to talk to Pharaoh and within the next day or two, I'm going to be out of here. Everything's going to be good again. I would imagine that Joseph thought his release was going to come quickly. But I want you to notice something. Do you see the white space that exists between the end of chapter 40 and the beginning of chapter 41? That white space represents two years. Two more years of hope deferred for Joseph. And yet, in that time period, in those two years, God was still at work in Joseph's life, maturing his faith and deepening 
his character, just as God intends to do in each one of our lives who are his children, when we go through those times, those trials of testing. James chapter 1, you know these verses, familiar verses. James 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Paul wrote to the Romans, similar thought, in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. It says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. In the end, we don't see Joseph as a cynical, angry man but rather as a godly, mature man who is able to handle the heavy responsibilities that were going to be entrusted to him. Those two silent years in the dungeon after his disappointment with the cupbearer were a time for Joseph to learn to hope in God still more. One of my favorite commentators is Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry says this, nothing is more grievous than the disappointment of a raised expectation, though not in the thing itself by a denial, yet in the time of it by a delay. It is therefore our wisdom not to promise ourselves any great matters from the creature, not to feed ourselves with any vain hopes from this world, lest we lay up matter for our own vexation. Let me interpret all that. Matthew Henry is saying here, many times we expect things. We expect God to work in a certain way. And it's not that God doesn't ultimately bring that about, but what causes the greatest disappointment, the greatest deferment of hope for us, is that it doesn't happen when we think it should. The delay, the wait. Matthew Henry says, we need to learn that in those times of waiting, in those periods of delay, don't put your hope in creatures, in other people, And don't put your hope in the world for it to work out. Put your trust in God. Trust in the fact that he is with you, his presence. That he is at work in his providence. That he sees everything, his prescience And that he has an appointed end, a purpose in all of this. It's interesting 
as I've grown older, I've come to love the Psalms more. When I was in my 20s, they didn't always make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, I knew it was God's word, but, but as, I've, as I've grown older, I found uh, the Psalms becoming more precious to me. Psalm 42 and 43 end on the same note. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Ultimately, it is the gospel of Christ that gives us that hope. God sent his son, Emmanuel, God with us. And to his disciples, Jesus himself said, I will never leave you or forsake you. It is the gospel that shows us how God works for his glory and for our good in his providence in sending his son to go to the cross, to die for us, to bear our sins in his body on the tree, that by his blood we might be cleansed. That is a work that God has done, not that we have done for ourselves, but that he did for us. If God gave his son for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? He will provide. He sees us in our need. He knows where we are at. The Lord has promised to never leave us or forsake us. And we know that he is working all things together for our good. To those who love him or are called according to his purpose. In the gospel, we have our hope. And yet, as we go from day to day, hope for present deliverance may be deferred. As it was for this young couple last night when their 11-month-old boy passed away. As it was for another family that we know in Oklahoma City where the funeral for a father in his 40s took place on Friday, leaving behind a wife and three or four daughters as they had prayed for healing from cancer. And that's a thing that Cheryl and I are learning We had expectations in moving here that uh, things would happen a certain way. Things have moved much more slowly than we thought. Uh, The response of family members to our presence, while it's not been entirely negative, hasn't always been, we are so thrilled you're here. Preach unto us Jesus. You know, we haven't gotten that. We miss our kids. We 
And so we're learning to put into practice these things. That when hope is deferred, trust in God. Trust that he is with you. Trust that he is at work in a hundred ways that you cannot see. Trust that there is nothing hidden from him. He knows where you're at. Just like, <clears throat> just like with in my Bible reading, I'm in the book of Exodus. And I read earlier this week that as the children of Israel cried out under their burdens in Egypt, that God saw, God knew. They were not forgotten. And he has not forgotten you. And trust that God is working out his purposes according to his sovereign will for his glory. But you can also be assured that as a child of his, that he is working for your ultimate good as well. It may not go the way you think it should. But in glory, when you look back, you'll say, God was right in all his ways. This is the second time I've preached this sermon. About a year ago, I preached through a series of sermons on the life of Joseph. And as I was thinking about what to preach this morning when Chet asked me, I went through all those sermons in Joseph, and this is the one that stood out to me because this is where we're at and what we're trying to learn to live out. And when I worked on this sermon the first time, I came across a poem in an old commentary. And really, it's not a poem. It's a hymn that was originally written in German back in 1885 by a man named Julius Karl Reinhold Sturm. That's a good German name. And the title of the poem or the sermon or the hymn is God's Anvil. And I won't read you all of it, but let me just read to you the first and the last verses. Pain's furnace heat within me quivers. God's breath upon the flame doth blow. And all my heart in anguish shivers and trembles at the fiery glow. And yet I whisper, as God will, and in his hottest fire hold still. And then it ends with this. He kindles for my profit purely, affliction's fiery, glowing brand. And all his heaviest blows are surely inflicted by a master hand. So I will say, praying, as God will, and hope in him, and suffer still. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful for your faithfulness and that you teach us, Lord, how to trust in you. Above all, Lord, may our hope be in the living Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us, the one who is the sure expression of your faithfulness to us. In Christ alone, 
our hope is found. Help us, Lord, to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.